When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. the great Al from White Plains, and this is New Report, Old Report, here on Monday, August 6, 2018, from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay on Tuesday night, also at 8 p.m. Eastern, or find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or at LondonBridge.com. This week, the state of Urban Meyer at Ohio State Pro Football Hall of Fame inductions, the fall of the New York Yankees, the president versus LBJ, and more. Check your sources. We're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. Well, Al, another week of supposedly no action in sports, but as we know, sports never seems to disappoint when it comes to news. It's just a matter of where we'll get that news, and the big story of the week was news of Ohio State and Urban Meyer and his wide receiver coach and domestic violence and a lot of unanswered questions some statements from Urban Meyer regarding the situation, chirping from the outside world that he should immediately lose his job. Overall, do you have any thoughts on the situation up to this point? Just if you can make sense of it all, if you think Urban Meyer should stick around and what Ohio State should do, are there any answers to any of those unanswered questions that we currently have? Well, John, first of all, as always, it's great to be with you again and uh, a loyal fan base. Uh, with us for another week. Uh, I, I, it, it is the lawyer in me as uh, loud as I can be at times, as reactionary as I can be at times, and as anti-urban as I am and always have been. Uh, I think Urban Meyer is a great football coach. I don't particularly like Urban Meyer. He's got a track record uh, that's not real strong in regard to some of the personnel uh, he is recruited in his days in Florida. Um, you know, obviously, I, I think most of our listeners understand the fact that Aaron Hernandez was one such player, as well as uh, a large amount, a large number of Florida players who uh, had some type of transgressions uh, with the law or breaking the law or uh, issues on, excuse me, off the playing field. Uh, and I have never thought him to be the most believable person uh, when it comes to dealing with how he's dealt with his players, how he's dealt with his coaches. Uh, I don't even believe that he left Florida under the circumstances he left Florida under. Uh, but that being put behind us, I, the lawyer in me always wants to stand back and wait. And instead of being the reactionary jumped to conclusion, taken from the point of view that we are all innocent until proven guilty, and more importantly than innocent until proven guilty, let's at least let some facts, most of them, come out. Because we have heard so many different stories about the timeline, about the dealings with this assistant coach, um, you know, who he had with him a number of years ago, grandson of Earl Bruce. Uh, who was a huge factor and, and role model for him uh, as a coach. And the issues he's had with his wife in terms of domestic violence uh, still has not been convicted of anything by anyone other than a criminal trespass charge, which for the folks out there basically means he may have violated or order of protection by going to the house when he wasn't supposed to. That's a criminal trespass. Um, so, I'm not sure what he knew or when he knew it. You know, we've got Brett McMurphy with his mountain of evidence, who is obviously looking to end Urban Meyer's career uh, with all these texts from uh, Smith's wife to Urban Meyer's wife. But as Brett McMurphy said in the interview with Brett McMurphy with ESPN, 
but I have no quote-unquote evidence that Urban Meyer knew. I have a mountain of evidence that his wife knew with these texts, but I have nothing that links that knowledge from Urban Meyer's wife's record to Urban Meyer. Now, we put two and two together and logically come up with four, but I haven't seen the two, and I haven't seen the two nor evidence of either to get me to four. The thing that did surprise me is the missive from Urban Meyer. I thought that this administrative leave was a time frame uh, that Reese Davis has suggested to take a clean, so to speak, way out of this situation, whether it's a buyout, whether it's a leave of absence for a year, whether it's something to have a settlement between Ohio State and him and the contract. Urban Meyer's statement to me made it sound like he's not going anywhere without a fight, which would lead me to at least think he feels he's in the right. Now, the one thing I will say about him, I don't trust him, but I also he's an incredibly bright guy. To think that this guy's going to bring him down is the most shocking of all of this. Yeah, what? it puts us in this notion of, you know, did he selectively and intentionally not pass this on the way he was supposed to do it for a wide receiver's coach? With, in this day and age, absolutely positively, the knowledge that if that ever came out, it could bring him down. What do you think under that? That simple question, what do you think? What interests me... Can answer that question? Do, do you think he actually would have let this happen right. for this guy and not have passed it on? That's what interests me of, just on paper, the stature of who you would be doing this for. Your wide receiver's coach. That's who you're going to lose your dream job, arguably the best college football job next to Nick Saban's, in all of the sport, this is going to be your downfall. That fascinates me. And you mentioned the statement that he made with the pre-typed out thought letter. Reading that, it, it makes it seem, as you said, I, I don't think he's going anywhere based off of that. It sounds like from the wording in it, and you know more than I would about professional wording and, and how to make things sound good without admitting anything, he had to have five or six people seemingly around him while they were putting that together to make it sound as great as it possibly could be. It just doesn't seem like they're going to part with him for this unless something more comes from it. I and don't... You, and you, you saw the Smith interview. Right. I'm sure. And Smith is, Smith is standing by his man basically saying it, it would be blasphemy if he was his job over this. It would be a sin. Uh, you know, I, I told him I was being investigated, and I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said that Meyer said to him, did you do it? No. Did you lay a hand on her? No, because if you laid a hand on her, you're fired. That's basically what he said Meyer said to him, that if you, if you laid a hand on her, you're out immediately. And in the meantime, he's continued to be investigated, and he hasn't been convicted of anything uh, other than the criminal trespass. So uh, then, we, then we jump to, well, what are his obligations? Is, is it simply passing it on to, to the following protocol? Now, that, that's my mindset, okay? If there is a protocol you are to follow as the Ohio State football coach or the Florida State football coach or the USC football coach, if there is a protocol, a line, a chain of command, when something along these lines, especially the state university, state employee scenario, but when this comes along that you are under a code of conduct slash uh, obligation protocol to follow where it gets passed from you to the next person up. Because I am getting tired of hearing this, well, you know, the football coach, the basketball coach, that's the guy. You're not the school president. You're not the Board of Regents. Right? You don't make all the decisions for that school. You're not the athletic director. Okay? You have, do you have a great deal of power? Of course you do. But if his role, his position, his obligation under his job 
is to report that to whether it's the athletic director Smith or whoever it is, and not make a hiring firing decision based upon what he knows. Well, then that's it. That's what you are to do. And if that's what he did, and if he didn't do that, obviously he's in the wrong. If he did do that, he followed what he was supposed to do. I don't know that yet, but the point is, everybody's under this notion that well, you know, if he knew about it, he's got to do more than pass it on. He's got a greater duty. Why? Why? Why does he have a greater duty? Because it's domestic violence. The other thing that gets a, gets really a bug up my sanity is this notion of domestic violence versus violence. We've got this great, and I, I maybe this sounds old school, and and I'm sorry if it does. Maybe I'm some. Maybe I'm the guy. You know, get off my lawn. But this domestic versus violence. It's, it's violence. You know, if you walk across the street and punch your brother in the face, that's just as bad as punching your brother in the face in the house. All right, domestic here, there, it's violence. All right, it's a criminal battery. It's an assault. I don't give a rat's ass where it happens. But we've got this emphasis that if it's in the home, it's worse than it's on its home. It's bad. It's illegal. It's a violent crime no matter where it happens. Oh, it's worse to beat up your wife than just to beat up your sister? It's worse to beat up your wife than it is to go out on the street, beat up a woman on the street. They're the same to me. I'm sorry. Same thing. You're taking another innocent person and you're putting them in harm's way by making contact. To me, it's the same crime. So I'm getting a little tired of separating the two with this notion that one is so much worse or has this greater degree of responsibility on our part to go and report it to go and stick, I don't want to say stick our nose, but to go and you know, really be our brother's keeper. You, know, you see, you heard the assistant count. You heard what Smith said. What's he supposed, what is he, prosecutor? Is he an investigator? Said, oh, is that all on his, on his, on his watch? Is he the football coach? I don't buy it. Without any more information coming to light, I can't see... Ohio State doing much more than what they've already done. I think the decision that they made to put him on leave was the right one. They did it quick enough. I don't think that they're going to go ahead and fire him for what they know now. I think more information would have to come out. And in college football, we know it's not incredibly difficult to get fired for things that you wouldn't have potentially been fired for 10 or 20 years ago in 2018 it's it's a much tougher slate when it comes to being in the wrong than it used to be and it's it's still not easy for coaches that have great resumes to slide by as it once used to be as well in this case just having the information we have I think there's just too much he said he said she said to to fire him for it I think what he what he said about it, Urban Meyer, that is, what's been said from the coach, what's been said from his wife, what's been said from Mr. McMurphy, all that they have, I, I don't think they could continue to go forward with it just because there's not much more else I, I think they would be able to do. And the other thing that obviously is interesting is how does this bear upon the relationship between Mr. and Mrs. Meyer? Right, because for – listeners that don't know she works for ohio state so so she is she's she's an employee she's a state employee uh there are title nine obligations regulations here did did she have an obligation to report it based upon the fact that she was an employee of the school i don't know because the woman who it happened to was not a student nor was she an employee of the school nor was she in any way, shape, or form connected to the school in terms of, um, uh, you know, her employee at the school or, or, you know, attending the school. So I don't know where Title IX would fall into play. Uh, does she have an obligation as an Ohio State uh, employee, employee of the state of Ohio, working in a state school, to disclose that information um, when it's been given to her basically on a woman-to-woman exchange? you know, wife to wife. Uh, does she have obligation to disclose it to her husband? Uh, did she not disclose it to her husband? Did she fall on her sword? What is the impact that it has on Urban and, and Urban Meyer and, and his wife's marriage in terms of as they go forward? 
it, it, it's almost soap opera-esque in that aspect of it. I'm also interested to know what this will do to the Ohio State program. I know that that's eighth or ninth on the list of things of importance in dealing with these issues, obviously. I mean, this is just a, a child's game that we're able to enjoy. But that there's now going to be questions on the Buckeyes program, which was coming into the season in several preseason coaches' polls, top five, always expecting to do well under Urban Meyer. They now have a new interim coach in Ryan Day, I believe this is the gentleman's name. I don't really know much about him aside from he was a graduate assistant when Urban Meyer was in Florida back in like 2005. He's been with the program for a couple years. They went with somebody Ohio State did that doesn't have much of a anti-clean record. Obviously, they weren't going to go with Greg Schiano to take the reins in, in lieu of Urban Meyer with the different things that he's been under scrutiny for. Now you're asking the football players who were expected to start camp, I believe begins Monday, thinking they were going to be under Urban Meyer with this weighing over their head, assuredly will at least be attempted to ask questions about it. I'm sure their PR staff at Ohio State will try to skew the media from talking to them about it and just focus on the football part of things. I don't know how long this leave will stay for, but if it continues, it's not going to be the best of things for the program. I don't necessarily know how much of a negative effect it'll have, but you would have to think this now changes things in the Big Ten. Well, let's say for argument's sake, whether it's a leave of absence for two games, four games, six games, or the year. Let's look from this point of view. We know he's a great football coach. However, what he always has are a lot of terrific football players. He has built an organization there at the collegiate level. And I, look, I don't want to say it runs itself, but all the reports I've heard so far have led me to believe that this group of players is a very strong group, an organized group with a very strong belief that they can carry on without their head football coach. And that makes me believe, at least from this point, which is very early in the scenario, that they are very strong as a group, very centered as a group, very confident as a group, and that there is in place the internal system in terms of the coaching staff that will allow them to move forward. I don't want to say without missing a beat, but I'm going to put it to you in spades. I think they're going to be fine with them and without, with, with, I, I, if he doesn't coach a game this year, I think the Ohio State program will be just fine. I agree. I can't see it being too much of a detriment. I, I know it'll be annoying for the players to have to deal with. But all it takes is one or two senior leadership type of guys to steer the ship, in a sense, in the locker room itself. And their schedule isn't incredibly challenging. And if he's not there for, say, when they have to go to Penn State and play them with the semi-rivalry that started to heat up again based on Penn State starting to get back to what Penn State fans hope they'll be, then we'll see where they stand. That, that'll that be a pretty the, good test. The curious thing for me, the most interesting thing for me will be, for as long as he's not there, how do they treat the media? Do they close ranks as a group? Do they shut the players down? Do the players shut themselves down? All phones off base, off limits, no tweeting, no texting. Look what they did to our coach. We're done, okay? We're not talking to anybody, okay? Our talk is going to be out there on the rectangle. You want, that's it, and that's all. Game questions, game questions only. That's it. We're fielding only football questions. We will address no other issues with you in the media period, end of story. Don't waste our time with non-football-related questions because we're setting the parameters now. We're setting the framework. We're telling you this is a matter that's being investigated. We are not commenting on it, so don't waste your breath. And then don't ask a follow-up question. It further wastes your breath and everybody else's time right, if it's not a football-related question. 
And to that, I'm interested if there will be any ripple effect with other programs. We often make fun of Bill Belichick for his dry tone and his seriousness and the way he answers questions, but he keeps it to football. There's nothing that you can take away from what he says that you can run with a follow-up question or you can try to get a story out of. Everything is 100% football-focused. That's the way he does things, and we're just going to have to be okay with that as far as the media goes. Nick Saban has asked tons of questions. He becomes vocal when he wants to be. He takes a different approach, in a sense, to that, where you can get some stuff out of him. You can obviously get some stuff out of Urban Meyer. It'll be interesting to see now if, when Urban Meyer returns, he clams up a little bit and just keeps it to football. He'll probably make one statement about it and say, listen, we're not talking about this anymore. We're focused on 2018, 2019. Let's move forward. I'm also interested to see if that might carry over into the rest of college football or at least some of its programs. I don't necessarily think it will. I think everything will most likely stay the same. Coaches will answer based on their personalities as they have. But you never know if there might be one or two that say, hey, the way that Urban Meyer was taken down, wasn't prepared, got asked about stuff that didn't necessarily have to do with this season. I'm not answering any of that stuff. I'm keeping it to football. We'll we'll see if that happens to be the case as well. In this day and age, it's clearly the safest way to go because you never know when you're going to have a reporter with an agenda. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. To a lighter note, but a a sadder note, for me at least, as a Yankees fan. (laughs) Dealing with the main stories revolving around baseball, this past weekend it's been the AL East race and the Red Sox seemingly winning the division for 2018 there, 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 there is no race. There, race there, is over. There you go. The, the only race that's left in the American League is the two wildcard spots. Uh, the Yankees are still in a very strong position for the first wildcard and probably will be. However, if their starting pitching continues to fail and they don't hit, well, they could just as quickly, because right now they're already closer uh, to, to the, the wildcard team team chasing the other Red Sox. And they just have to, in my mind, uh, focus on the matter at hand, which is starting to win some baseball games. Pitch better, hit better, defend better. And look, they're, they're without a couple of key pieces. You know, they're, they're without a big spot in there, a big, big part of their lineup in charge. Uh, they've done this the, the entire season. They've got yeah, without Sanchez. The Sanchez has done nothing. So I don't want to make it sound like, you know, missing Gary Sanchez, you know, is costing them, uh, you know, games in the standings. They got what they got uh, tied with the Red Sox a month ago, best two teams in baseball without Gary Sanchez. So uh, basically hitting 180, 188, whatever he's hitting, you know, when he went down. Uh, He's given them nothing this year. Uh, Both, I'm both sides of the ball. He's been terrible at the plate. He's been mediocre behind it. Judge is a huge loss. Uh, it's a big piece out of that lineup. And then you've got the rest of the injuries. You know, the kid at second base has been out and now back and not hitting as well. Uh, the kid at third has been solid as a rock. Gardner's not hitting. Um, Didi has been up and down. Bird is basically giving you nothing. Um, Stanton has been solid. Stanton has been pretty consistent you know, in his spot in the lineup. Um, so you can't knock him. He's done his job. He's done what he's supposed to do. He's delivered pretty consistently. But you haven't had the play setters doing a whole hell of a lot in the bottom of the second half of the order. He hasn't produced much either during this downturn. And they've struggled against the very you know, against the rest of the division, you know, which are the incredibly hideous Orioles, uh, the mediocre Blue Jays, and the not too bad Rays. Uh, while the Red Sox have kicked Fanny against all those things. Uh, and that's why there's been a big discrepancy in these standings. Uh, 
they're going to have to look in the mirror and not worry about looking what's ahead of them. Just look at the reflection and start playing better baseball to make sure they get things cleaned up so they can uh, not have any issues getting into the playoffs. Well, the surprising part for me has been, at least in the second half, if you look at their losses aside from the 2-4-1 losses in Fenway over this past weekend, their losses are still putting offense together, at least on paper. They're losing 7-5. to They're losing 15-7. to They're still scoring five, six, seven runs, but it's still resulting in losses. And, and you would think if they were to lose, it would be in these close 2-1, 3-2 type of games based on what their bullpen is. And that hasn't been the case so far because the starting pitching has been incredibly inconsistent where the bullpen hasn't had the opportunity to show its dominance or what they hope the dominance will be because we still haven't really seen any string of five solid innings, six solid innings, then let's go the seven, eight, nine with our bullpen guys and we're going home. We're shortening games, we're winning series, we're trying to get back to where we were. That hasn't happened yet. They're in a rut both offensively and defensively now, pitching-wise, and it's it's been rough to watch. And unfortunately, these are not the Boston Red Sox of, say, 10, 15 years ago, where they would have a lead like this in the AL East, and Yankees fans would just assume, well, they're not going to hold on to that. They'll choke it away, and more often than not, they would. That's not the case anymore. They haven't well, gone the through Sox. a slump yet. I'm still waiting for that. They haven't had their, like... 10 out of 12 loss baseball slump yet, and we're in August. I don't know how they've been able to keep it up. Maybe it'll come. Maybe that'll change things. It doesn't look like it, though, Al. Well, there's two factors to that. One, if it comes, you've got to go on and run at the same time to make hay. But they've got a very sound baseball team. Um, They're a tough team, unless you're a Yankee fan, to not like in terms of the way they play the game. They've got athletes. They not only hit the ball over the wall, they manufacture runs with their speed. They have guys who hit the ball from line to line. They take the extra base. I heard a statistic tonight. Uh, going into tonight, they were an extraordinary 84% success rate on stolen bases. That is off the charts. And in Mookie Betts, Benintende, and Bogarts and Jackie Bradley Jr., they have athletic guys who are wonderful base runners and good base stealers. Uh, they have three center fielders in the outfield. Uh, they have the best defensive outfield in baseball. They have the best defensive center fielder breathing. Uh, they have the MVP. Probably, uh, I, I would make a very strong argument that they have the top two contenders for most valuable player in the American League. Uh, in, uh, you know, Martinez, who was simply the perfect signing, one of the great signings in the history of free agents. There's never been a guy who's more perfect for a team. And Betts, who's back where he was a couple of years ago, uh, when he probably should have won the MVP and Mike Trout won it. Uh, they should be one too this year in the MVP race, uh, especially now with uh, the fact that Trout is out for a little bit and the Angels are falling out of the race. And Altuve is dipped up and on the DL, so he's you know missing a few games. He's going to miss a few more games while these two guys are still going strong and making hay. So you know, barring injury, I expect them to finish one, two, and I don't know what order because um, right now, basically, I would probably flip a coin in trying to decide which one was the most valuable player. I mean, I, I despise the notion of co-MVPs, but if you were to stop it right now, I think you could make a strong argument that they would be co-MVPs in the American League. And you're mentioning co-MVPs for the Red Sox and the Yankees are closing out this series on a Sunday with Romine behind the plate and a Luke Voigt and Shane Robinson playing first and right field respectively. Two former former Cardinals. My Lord. Well, give us the scouting report on those guys so we can get filled in. Luke Voigt is a big, strong right-handed hitter uh, who's been relatively successful at AAA and has had much opportunity uh, in the, at the major level, because obviously he's behind Matt Carpenter, who's had one of the great turnaround seasons in the history of the sport. I remember Matt Carpenter was hitting about 140 after the first six weeks of the season. Yours truly was calling for his head. Uh, and lo and behold, he's now a fringe MVP candidate. 
and one home run, I believe, behind Nolan Arenado for the home run lead in the National League. Uh, but Foy has had success at AAA, has had much of a chance to hit the major league level. He's got some holes in his swing, big, strong right-handed hitter, average first baseman. Um, he's a legitimate major leaguer. Uh, how much he's going to give you in this scenario, first trip through, uh, remains to be seen. He's not going to be an everyday guy for the New York Yankees at first base. Yeah, Ofer's, Ofer's in the sixth inning. We'll we'll just uh, put it that way. Haven't haven't Shane, gotten Shane Robinson is is what he's always been a light hitting utility player uh, who's very fast, uh, good on the bases, and every once in a while can get you a big base hit. But you know he's a guy who's going to hit in the high hundreds, low two hundreds uh, if he's going to play regularly. Uh, and that's why he never plays right. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's unfortunate to head into this series with the magnitude of it for the season without two of your better hitters and having to really just plug holes in the lineup to get through the series. Chance Adams, a great pitcher, probably not the best case scenario for him to get his major league debut in Fenway in a must-win game. Didn't pitch too poorly, but another loss for the Yankees, that, that on Saturday, 4-1. to one. It's amazing to just take a step back, look at their record, and think they're the third best team in the American League record-wise, not even just the American League, all of Major League Baseball. And you you can basically crown them dead, at least when it comes to the division. And another one-game playoff seems to be on the horizon, which we're getting pretty good at, Al. I mean, this this is it's going to feel like home if we get into another one. Great, one game. Well, I, I think the, the one, I don't people fell, in, fell into a trap but you know, Severino almost gave you this false sense of security. Uh, you know, did you think he was never going to hit a bump? I mean, did you think he was going to go, you know, eighteen and one with an ERA of a buck and a half, you know, and a whip of you know 0.95? He's hit a bump in his like second real season in the majors too, and people exactly. expected him to just be okay. I expected the you bump know, to come. This isn't shocking at all. It's just unfortunate the timing. The, the, the problem is, is they, they've got no real strong, other than Tanaka, who I like, and who always seems to come to in a big spot, they've got no real reliable, dependable guy behind him. You know, I still say CC is, is what he is. You know, he's a five-inning to six-inning pitcher, and you never know when he is going to, I don't want to say fall apart. Well, it's not 2009 he, anymore he, either. CC, you know, you've got him on the mound up for nothing uh, in the opener in game one. And the next thing you know, the game's over. And you're on the short end because he faltered, gave him a quick hook. And then your rookie manager, uh, who is really now undergoing his first witness test, left a guy out there who gave up seven runs without returning a batter. And why he left him out there for so long, I have absolutely no idea. But the bottom line is, you left him out there. Now, would it, would it have made a difference? Probably not. But you know, eleven four, seven four. You know, I, but obviously, you left him out there far too long. And why? I have no idea. Can he get somebody up in time uh, or, or ready quickly enough to get him out of there? But you know, these are the kind of games, and those are the kind of decisions that you know, veteran managers uh, with more experience are you know, probably going to be better equipped to deal with than. Aaron Boone was in that spot. Switching to something else that happened over the weekend, I'm not sure how much of the ceremonies you were able to catch, but the 2018 Pro Football Hall of Fame class inductees had a little pomp and circumstance, obviously, for getting elected in. I didn't catch too much of the event live. I was able to hear several of the clips just from working for Mad Dog Sports Radio and and listening to other sports radio programs. I did listen to Jerry Kramer's speech in full since he is a friend of the Bridge Sports Podcast. Hilarious, well-spoken, great stories, everything I expected it to be and more, and and well-deserved for him to get in after more than 50 years from his playing days a Green Bay Packers legend, as, as I'm sure older fans can remember and younger ones might even know as well. Like, like, you, you, I was waiting for you to throw in like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> we could have did that too. 
do you remember watching him play? Let's let's put the the age gap there. I I remember I remember watching you know the ice ball on New Year's Eve. There it is when he made the block against Jethro Pugh, the legendary block and controversial block, uh, where if you look at the replay, it shows he may have started uh, a split second early. Uh, that uh, that cut that just little bit of space for Brett Starr to sneak in on the do-or-die play because, you know, as, as everybody my age knows, that was uh, the legendary 13-below uh, game in Green Bay where Vince Lombardi uh, decided with no timeouts left after using his last timeout to call a running play, uh, which was, and not on fourth down, mind you. And once you call that running play with no timeouts left, uh, there's no way if you don't make it that you're going to be able to get up and run another play right. or get the field goal unit on in time to kick the tying field goal. So uh, what still goes unnoticed, not by many uh, anymore, but those millenniums, let's call them, uh, and even those who are older than that, is the fact that in this day and age, what a huge gamble that would be uh, with all the media outlets and, and what a controversial decision it would be, a ballsy decision it would be, you know, for a coach in that spot uh, with the championship on the line to not kick the field goal and take it into overtime uh, versus going for it with, if you don't make it, you know, there's no way they're going to get up in time to do it. Because you have to remember, it's not just rush every, you're rushing everybody out there on a field that's like a sheet of ice right? and trying to get, and, and there's, there's, there's no way you're going to do it. It's not going to happen. And you can't ground it because uh, I believe it was, uh, I believe the touchdown was on third down. So it would be fourth down if memory serves me correct. So you wouldn't have been, I don't think you would be able to get up in time and ground it because it would be fourth down. Um, so that was a do or die play. And Kramer is the one who made the block on Jethro Pugh to give Bart Starr just enough room to sneak into the end zone. Other than Mr. A Kramer? A legendary player, a legendary player on a legendary offensive line. Uh, he was, if not Lombardi's favorite, he's one of Lombardi's favorite right. favorites and you know, great storyteller. And you know, quite frankly, considering the nature and the legendary nature of that team, that group, that coach, those players, always amazed that he was not in the Hall of Fame many, many years ago. Agreed. And I'm, I'm glad he was around for it. He was able to participate in it and he was able to enjoy it along with his kids and grandkids and everybody else that was there. Yeah, pretty cool. We had Brian Erlacher with hair. Uh, Ray Lewis did his thing as expected, had the longest speech. It was like giving a Ted talk, walking around the stage, which was expected. Randy you know Moss, I thought, be had on, the best. You know Ray bus. was going to be on the move. Yeah, exactly, and and he sweated through his his gold jacket pretty quickly. Another thing that was expected. Randy Moss had a great speech. I thought. I thought Brian Dawkins had a great speech, and I thought T.O. While he probably didn't get as much coverage as he would have hoped, and it sometimes became hard to find where his speech was and how to find it and how to watch it and, and how to go about that. I can understand that the NFL or I should say the pro football Hall of fame wouldn't just go and make that easy. He, he didn't really ruffle too many feathers. I thought, I thought overall it was fine. Nothing really stuck out from it that I think is going to be a huge talking point come Monday sports radio. Yeah, I, can you I, believe I that guy ruffled, said that? He ruffled, he ruffled more feathers, including mine by doing what he did versus yeah, that that what, in general what, is versus is, versus what is he one. said right. Yesterday, he wasn't nasty yesterday. He wasn't disrespectful yesterday. But again, the quote on why he did it, I still don't get. You know, the notion of the football writers not doing what's right. You know, for those who are who are to come, and his goal set set it right for those to come. You can't hit on your third track. All right, you're not the greatest wide receiver of all time. And there's been a lot of great wide receivers who took longer to get in. Okay, who were just as good as you, if not better. They just didn't have as many catches, or as many yards, as many touchdowns because the way their offenses were ran. Whether it be Lynn Swan or John Stallworth or Art Monk, okay, lots of them. Uh, Art Monk took forever to get in. Lynn Swan took a long time to get in. So did so did uh, so did John Stallworth. Um, you know, it's a position that's not a first up. 
you know, first ballot, you know, Chris Carter took forever to get it. Now, was he better than, than, than most of those guys? Maybe. But, you know, it's not exactly like he waited 20 years to get it. Third time. Third time around, which is what? Seven years? Eight years? Right. Relative after five? So if this is his seventh year, it's not exactly, you know, we're waiting until your death. It's not a Terry Carson scenario. And being in the same class as how long Jerry Kramer had to wait. Humorous, to say the least, for that regard. We've yeah, come- I, I just think it's it, it's more of you know it's more of Terrell Owens uh, as, as always as usual being about Terrell. Right, one last ride off into the sunset with a gold jacket now to go along with it. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. We've come to the portion of the show for the first time in show history, even though this is only episode four, where you have an opportunity to defend LeBron James as a Los Angeles Laker. It didn't take long. The season hasn't even started yet. Preseason hasn't even started yet. And we, who else do we have to thank for that but, but, but President Trump? <laughs> and and, and we, we thank him for you know, basically turning LeBron James into a political and social hero uh, by the insults and, and, and really the condescending, disrespectful tone of his remark I find to be just absolutely horrific coming from the president of the United States to talk that way about an athlete who now with the franchise of record, the Los Angeles Lakers is doing so much for his community because he gave an honest opinion. And he also gave an opinion that I happen to agree with, regardless of, of what you think of president Trump or his party or your party affiliation, I believe it's not only opinion, I believe it's factual. I believe that Donald Trump has separated this country through sports. I believe he has used sports as a divisive factor, uh, a divisive vehicle to uh, do everything he could uh, and can to, I don't want to say put us against each other, but it, what he's done through sports has in no way, shape, or form brought us together. It's done just the opposite. 11.30 at night on a Friday, unprovoked. I happened to be working when it broke through and, and everyone was talking about it. You just couldn't imagine why it was happening (laughs) and you still really can't what prompted this and then to throw in at the end a i like mj little dig like that would make everything finer and dandier that oh well you know a little a little joke at the end of of what was said before will just make everything all right and hearty horror type thing there was no need for it and it was unbelievable for it to happen the same week where we have LeBron James open up his own school to help some of the lower students in and around his hometown and where he grew up and, and to really change not only their lives, but their families' lives who have, have just tried to get by. It, it was unbelievable. It, it was unbelievable to have it happen, especially for why it did and how it did. There was no need for it. And it's, it's it's really unbelievable. That that's all you can really say about it. It, it makes me jokingly say or laugh and and just realize why you're not on Twitter yourself, Al. This is the type of stuff that you'd have to deal with on a day to day basis. You don't need that. I I I have found the way this president conducts himself uh, in and out of the Oval Office, constantly on Twitter to be just in, in total contravention of what the office of the presidency is supposed to be about. And uh, there is nothing about him that is presidential. And I believe he continues to drag 
the highest office in the in the land through the mud uh, on a regular basis. And this is another example of the way he has taken the presidency, and you know, really treats it with the kind of reality he has, which is that of a game show host, uh, that of a host, that of a guy who just wants to say whatever he wants to say, whatever he wants to say it, with no filter, with no control, with no notion of the importance uh, of the office or the respect that the office deserves from those who look at it from the outside and the way it should be treated by the one who has it. Uh, there is nothing in any way, shape, or form about Donald Trump that's presidential. And every time he puts his fingers on those buttons, uh, he provides further evidence of that. Well, at least we had something to talk about on a Friday night in sports radio. There was no worry about trying to find a specific topic or what will go down that carried Friday, Saturday, and it might even trickle into Monday, but something that we won't have to worry about soon enough are topics to talk about because, as we know, preseason football is kicking off this upcoming week where not just two teams are playing in the Hall of Fame game, but all teams will be involved and storylines will be breaking from it. Let's go. Before, before we part ways for the weekend, let me get a quick prediction from you. The PGA, the fourth major, is coming up this weekend. Will Tiger Woods be on the leaderboard on Sunday in the fourth round of the PGA? I think he has a better chance of pulling out because of injury. Because we just saw him play this past weekend. The tournament name slips my mind, of course, and he didn't do very well at all. He's well, st- he had two solid rounds to start, but right. it was really... It was really Contrary to what we usually, what we've seen so far from Tiger is that he's been better in the third and fourth rounds, the first and second. True, and uh, as yet has gotten himself into tournaments on Saturdays. And here he was right in the middle of things going into Saturday, and then you know had a mediocre Saturday and a lousy Sunday, and you know went from you know towards the. the not the top of the leaderboard, on the leaderboard, to 31st place. I mean, you know, he went from 5,600, you know, five strokes back to 31st place uh, by not breaking par the last two days. So, uh, shot himself out of the tournament on Saturday and Sunday, whereas he had shot himself into the tournament on prior Saturdays. Right. So, uh, I, I, I still believe he's going to win again. I don't think it'll be this coming weekend, because I think it still takes a while to not just get healthy, but get healthy and compete and get healthy and compete and win. Right. Right now he's healthy and competing. The next step is to compete for four rounds uh, where you have four terrific rounds. Because it takes, you know, at the level these guys are playing, if you don't play four terrific rounds, uh, you've got to have you know, three terrific rounds and one okay one or two good rounds and one okay one and one incredibly off the charts. And he hasn't been able to do that. And even if you do, it still may not be enough because these guys are also good. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he plays. I hope he, I just hope he plays well. Right. That's I'm just rooting for him to be competitive right now. Cause I don't expect him to win yet. I do expect him to win again, but I, and I do expect him to win a major if he stays healthy. But I don't expect him to win a major this year. I don't expect him to win this one. I think he can win a major next year. My hope is stay healthy this upcoming weekend for the PGA event, especially after starting to now get back into the swing of things, as you mentioned, of playing consecutive weekends or at least in, in back-to-back weeks, getting back into that form where you're able to just continue to participate in the tournaments themselves. I'll say that he's not in contention on Sunday this time around. I think okay. that'll switch the following opportunity that he has. Just just based on the odds, 
I don't think it's going to happen twice in a row where we're excited in a PGA Tour event with him. I hope it does, obviously. I, I would love to see it, but I'm going to say not this time, hopefully the next. And since you started the show, I want to start the show. Since the, the, we spent a good time on it, uh, and it did set the show on it. When next we speak, will Urban Meyer still be the head coach uh, at The Ohio State University? See, now that's how you do a radio tease, ladies and gentlemen. That's a good one right there. I'm going to say yes. And the farther along we go with that, I can't foresee them making a decision that would be in his negative. I don't think he's going to resign. I don't think they're going to fire him. I think it'll just be a matter of waiting out this leave. Eventually, they'll announce when it will end, and and he'll come back to coaching. I, I think we're better to ask, and we probably could next week, when the leave will end and he'll return back to Ohio State. But to answer your question, I don't think he'll be fired by the next time we speak. I, we're, we're great. I, I think it'll be a situation that is going to take a while to play out. Uh, I don't think he's going to... I, I could see this going on for the, this investigation and an ultimate resolution not coming to fruition until the season is over. Right. And even then, I don't think they would make the decision. It would be hard for me to believe it would be based upon the record that they will have for the 2018 season. If they do incredibly poorly, they fire him for that. I don't think that'll be the case. I don't think they'll be able to have that be the case. I can't see them not having at least eight wins. I, I, I can't least. see them doing incredibly poorly if you're coaching. <laughs> <laughs> I'll and wait patiently that, by the phone for that, that call. I say that respectfully. <laughs> hey, if they want to pay me $7.5 million to fill that void on the sidelines, I'm all for it. Kudos. Kudos. You're, well, you're worth every penny. <laughs> Al, it's always a pleasure. I'm sure the, the sports wheel will continue to flow for us for the next couple of weeks. We'll be into football, and the show will get even more fun. And we hope that that loyal group of uh, listeners out there in our audience continues to grow. Everybody had a great week. And Johnny, I'll talk to you next week. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>